0: Not a physical transformation, but a spiritual one. Um, it's about how God takes us from being helpless, helpless non-Christians to being active Christians, and that's really important for a whole host of reasons. If you're uh, if you're a Christian and you have feelings of guilt and shame, well, you need to be reminded that there is no condemnation. If you're a Christian and there are sins in your life that you find hard to shake, well, you need to be reminded why transformation is possible, how and why transformation is possible. If you're a Christian and you're feeling distant from the Father, well, you need to be reminded that the just judge of the universe, well, he's also your loving Father. And he gives you the ability to change through the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the sermon outline today, I decided not to do PowerPoint slides because it was too complicated to switch back and forth, but there's only three points, and it's pretty simple. Uh, Point one, before. uh, Point two, after. And then point three, so what? Before, after, and so what? I'm not as poetic as hands when it comes to doing my sermon outlines. Um, Now, friends, if you're listening with us uh, and you're not a Christian, then I want you to know that the words here in Romans are addressed to Christians. And so you might find what is said about being a non-Christian confronting. You might even find the words of Romans offensive because it's going to make claims about your will your ability your inability that may seem at odds with how you see your life well i want you to stick with us and take the time to understand this passage because um legitimately romans 8 is one of the greatest is the greatest chapter in the bible and this is the first half of it and it speaks to exactly how amazing it is to be a christian Um, and so without further ado let's get into god's word Um, as somebody somewhere once said there are only There are only two ways to live. But the reality is that all of us before Jesus, well, there was exactly one way that we all lived. Paul describes that for us in verse 5. So let me read it. Uh, You might find it. You will find it extremely helpful, actually, to have a Bible in front of you uh, or on your phones in front of you. I'm going to be referring quite heavily to it. And like I said, we're not going to be able to put the slides up. Um, So, yeah, please do refer to God's word. and as we read it, I want you to focus on the idea of uh, flesh. And by which Paul doesn't mean, uh, he's not talking about literal skin and bones and meat. Uh, rather, he's thinking more abstractly in terms of our natural instincts, our animal nature, if you like, our carnal desires, our reptilian brain. And that's what he means when he's talking about the flesh. And so from verse five, let me read. Paul writes, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Do you see what Paul's saying? He, he He's being pretty emphatic. He's saying humans of their own accord, well, they can't listen to God. They can't obey God. They can't please God. On our own, we cannot serve God, submit to his laws any more than, say, a wolf could paint an impressionist artwork or a kangaroo could paint a sonata. When it comes to living God's way, without God's help, we're helpless. So imagine a baby. Imagine a baby. Um, if you have one in your lives, you can imagine them. Uh, if you don't, you can imagine little Luke Bones. He's small, he's helpless, he's cute. Um, he can smile, he can sleep, he can poo. Now imagine him sleeping in his cot at night. And touch woods, it doesn't happen, but imagine imagine that the house is on fire. Imagine that the building is burning down. Now there's nothing that the baby can do to save themselves. There's nothing that they can do to extinguish the fire. There's nothing they can do to escape. A baby is utterly, entirely helpless. But you also know that Tim or Jess will be there in a second to grab him and take him to safety. But That's us in that burning building. You see, without God sending his son to rescue us, without the Holy Spirit, In our lives, we're completely and utterly useless and helpless. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know this, don't we? We know that no matter how hard you try, it's impossible to be perfect. You can't score 100 on every test. You can't win every race. We all know that we all make mistakes. But worse than that, we know that our failures, well, they're not just academic. They're moral and ethical. We lose our tempers. We give in to temptation. We say and do things that we're not proud of. We do the wrong thing. We see evil and injustice and we lose the ability to be outraged by it. We don't stand up for the weak. We don't help the poor. We don't love our neighbour. And we know this feeling of being unable to do the right thing that Paul expresses really eloquently in Romans 7. We looked at it last week, which is... I do not do the evil that I want to do. But the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. That's not confusion. That's the human condition. We don't always live up to our, our own standards, let alone God's perfect standards. His law, after all, it's perfect and wonderful and righteous, but we fall short of that mark constantly. Or to invert that, as humans, we're constantly breaking God's law We're constantly angering him with our hundred little rebellions, big and small. And we're constantly earning the righteous punishment of the just judge. And you might be a better human being than me, and that's that's okay. But what this passage is saying is that, well, we're all bankrupt. None of us can pay our debts. I might owe a trillion dollars, you might owe a billion dollars, but that's a debt that neither of us can pay. And so that that would be a miserable state of affairs if not for god entering the world to come and save us point two so jesus coming to the world he to save us and here is the difference that he makes um so back with you i'm looking at verse one verse one this is what it says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus because through christ jesus The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God the father. God the Father has sent God the Son to save us and rescue us from that burning building. And more than that, he's given us God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit completely transforms us. God the Holy Spirit makes us able to do things that we simply couldn't do before. He makes us into people that we weren't able to be. Verse 5, um, we've already seen what Paul says about a fleshy mind. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Or verse 6, before. Um, before, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but now the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. It's let me use this analogy. Have you um have you ever wanted to fly? I don't mean sit in a metal tube with a jet engine on the back, so you can breathe recycled air for hours and hours and hours and and catch COVID from all your fellow passengers. Uh, What I mean is fly, fly like a bird, free in the air. It'd be sweet, right? I'd just fly up without a care in the world. I could see the world from a thousand feet. I could fly straight to work and beat all the traffic. I could fly and see what it's like if I was tall as hands. But no matter how hard i try to fly it's never going to happen right no matter how hard i flap my wings i'm never going to be like a bird and fly like in the air no matter how much you want to fly you simply can't your entire life you have been in the tyranny of this thing called gravity and it's such a downer but then but then jesus enters your life and it's a bit like do you remember peter pan peter pan it's an old movie you may not but um Short, long story short, Peter Pan—he's this flying boy. He flies into the window like it's no big deal, and here's Wendy. Uh, she's a regular human being like you and me, and she can't fly. So Peter Pan sprinkles fairy dust on, on Wendy and her brothers, and suddenly Wendy can fly. And so, suddenly Wendy can do things that have been that can do things that have been impossible to her all her life. And so Jesus is like Peter Pan entering the room. And the Holy Spirit is like the fairy dust that he gives to you. The Holy Spirit helps you to do something that has always been impossible to you. But unlike fairy dust, you've got the Holy Spirit forever. He never disappears. He never fades. He never goes away. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He does the impossible. He raises an army of dry bones and gives them life and skin and breath. The Holy Spirit helps you understand God. He helps you understand God's word. He helps you live according to God's word. He helps you live lives that are pleasing to God. We don't want to. Under- I don't want to undersell the impossibility of what is happening here. Right? In in a non-Christian mindset, you have. Um, you have the mental and the physical and the spiritual, and they're all sort of separate things. But in a Christian mindset, the spiritual, which is to say the Holy Spirit, well, he directly affects our body and our mind. The verse, verse 10 says, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. We're dead, we're subject to death, but God, the Spirit, gives us physical life. More than that, the Holy Spirit can directly affect the heart and the mind. He can help you to understand and believe the impossible. See, see this thing? Yeah. sorry, autofocus. No, it's not working. Um, This is the Bible, and this thing is a mystery, right? Because there are plenty of smart people, and I, I can think of, dozens off the top of my head who have PhDs, and yet they would look at the Bible and they would say, well, this is nonsense and fairy tales. Or they would say, this is a book of rules, or it's just inspiring stories. And yet, if you walk into any given Sunday school on any given Sunday, when COVID's not on, there'll be five-year-olds in Sunday school who can understand that Jesus died to save them from their sins. Jesus loves me, this I know. But the Bible tells me so. And so that's that's why we pray before we read the Bible. And it is it's a miracle and a privilege that every time when we read the Bible, that the Spirit opens our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the Word. And he loves to help us open to live according to the Word. And he helps us to. To love what God loves and treasure what God treasures. And the miracle of the Holy Spirit is that your life, your actions, your thought, well, everything that you are can now be pleasing to God. And so, I guess the million, billion, trillion dollar question is, well, what what difference does all that make? Well, I want to say that it makes all the difference in the world, the difference from the flesh to the spirit, but... Let me land on three. First of all, this passage gives us hope. There is hope in this passage that the world simply cannot offer you. You see if you listen to the world, you will hear two very loud, very contradictory beliefs about the human condition. And as it turns out, both of them are wrong. right So one school of thought says, well, look, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do, you just need to believe it and you can change. I had an interesting conversation with an old colleague on Facebook last week about plastic surgery. And he was saying it's great. The plastic surgery is cheaper and accessible and safe because now women have agency to look how they want to look. Change is possible because change is necessary. Change is as simple as a quick surgical procedure. The school of thought in the world that all you need to do is believe and you can change, but there's another school of thought, and you've seen it as well on social media, which is that. We cancel people. We cancel people, why? Because they can't change. If someone used to be a horrible person in the past, well, they're probably still a horrible person. If people can find sexist, racist tweets that you made 20 years ago, then, well, you can be canceled, whether you're a pop star or a politician. And we believe that a gambling addict will always be an addict, an alcoholic will always be an alcoholic, a murderer will always be a murderer. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't feel comfortable with a murderer living on my street, right? On one hand, you can change, but on the other, well, you can't. And the Bible defies both of these ways of thinking. See, the Bible says, well, you can't can't change on your own. In fact, spiritual change is impossible without God. But then the Bible says, well, you can change. You can change with the help of the Holy Spirit. But with the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change your life around. You can now think God-pleasing thoughts. You can now live a God-pleasing life. You can now leave behind a life of sin. And the reason you're able to do so is not because you tried harder or you wished more or you believed with all your heart. The reason you're able to do it is because the Holy Spirit, like gravity-defying fairy dust, gives us sin-defying transformation. Some changes will be overnight, like the Apostle Paul, who was once a murderer and then spent the rest of his life trying to save people's lives. But by and large, the work of the Holy Spirit will be gradual and incremental. And you will pray and you'll struggle. But one day, 20 years from now, you'll realise that you, you haven't had a lustful thought in years. You haven't lost your temper. You haven't been tempted to gamble. and so. This passage, it gives us glorious hope that you can change. You can live the Christian life. And the reason is not because we rely on our own strength or our own power or our skill or intelligence. What we can rely on is the Spirit of God. And the promise, which is later on in Romans 8, but I'll read it for you. We'll look at it next week. But um, what Paul writes is, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be Conformed to the likeness of his son. What the Spirit is doing, what the Spirit is doing as he works in our lives, is that he's making us more and more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a great deal more hope. So keep praying and keep trusting in the Holy Spirit to make you more and more like Jesus. So, first of all, this passage gives us hope, but second of all, this passage also gives us assurance. First, let me head back to verse 1. Verse 1, it says, well, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. You see, Jesus turns aside God's anger so that the righteous, verse 4, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And so we don't have any guilt or shame before the judge of the universe. And this is the offer. To all of us imperfect, fallible, sinful human beings, Christians and non-Christians alike. And this is the perpetual offer that we need to hear every time we fail. Every time we sin. Every time we think, this is hopeless. I'm hopeless, and I'm just not good enough for God. Well, God doesn't condemn you, He loves you and He accepts you. Once again, not because of how awesome you are, but because of how awesome Jesus is. And so Something we need to constantly remind ourselves is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means you, my friend, are not condemned. One, we have hope. Two, we have assurance. Three, we have adoption. It's not merely that we're set free from prison. We're also adopted as sons and daughters. God the Judge. Includes the court case, and he declares you not guilty, uncondemned. And then what he does is he runs around to meet you at the front of the courtroom, and he drives you home in his car, and he probably grabs you Maccas on the way home. You see, the stern judge is also the loving father, who provides all good things. I have three children. Hopefully they still listen to the sermon. When I die, everything I earn will be divided among the three of them. Now, imagine that one of my children has a best friend. Um, there's a great deal that we would do for that best friend. If they want to come over for dinner, sure, we'd feed them. If they want to have a sleepover, for sure, go for it. If they're having a rough time at home, no worries. They can sleep on our couch for a few nights until they sort out um, until they sort out their lives. But no matter how close that friend becomes to the family, they're not my son and they're not my daughter. Right? They're not getting a part of inheritance but if sarah and i ever decided to adopt a child well then everything would be completely different but if we adopt a child the adopted child becomes part of our family becomes exact he becomes he or she becomes a son of a the daughter becomes a son or daughter and that means that the estate's now going four ways right it, it makes all the difference being part of the family and now what the bible is saying is that we are part of God's family. We are children, and we call God Father, and we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. How magnificent is that? We are truly part of the family. So, friends, without the Spirit, before we had the Spirit in our lives, there's nothing we could do. But now we have the Spirit. We can live according to the Spirit and set our minds on what the Spirit desires. And we can please God with our lives. And so we can have hope that we can change. You can have hope that you can change. And we can have assurance that we will always be accepted. And we'll always be accepted by God the Heavenly Father as sons and daughters of the God Most High. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you um, for the change that you brought about in our lives. We want to thank you for the Holy Spirit that he helps us to do the impossible and he helps us to leave behind our lives of sin and strive to become more and more like Jesus and to please you with our lives. Father, would you help us to live up to this? Would you help us to be people who live pleasing lives? And would you help us to, um, for my brothers and sisters who, are um, uh, with us. Father, would you give them hope and would you give them assurance? Would you help them to understand how deeply they are loved and accepted and included in your family? And Holy Spirit, would You um, would you make us more and more like Jesus? And we look forward to that day where we will see him face-to-face and be finally perfected. And we want to pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.